0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 32 of the podcast that goes Snicked. I'm your host, Jason Venable. In this episode, we're going to wrap up all the rest of the Wolverine books for May of 2013. And we might even have a surprise co host drop in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was your cue. Uh, also, it's storming outside, so you'll probably hear my dog Max jumping on the door a lot this episode because he wants to go outside and he can't. So, right? He got his cue. Why couldn't you get your cue? I need to get you some doggy biscuits. <laughs> alright, well, anyway, that's enough of that. So, uh, alright, here we go. So first up, we have Savage Wolverine number 5, which is Savage Part 5. Of course, this is written and drawn by Frank Cho. Um, Colors by Jason Keith. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And the cover is by Cho and Keith. The cover kind of keeps with the motif of the first four. Kind of has that, um, hey, what do you call this? I've been calling it like monochromatic. What do you call the back of that? I like the background of that cover. The background? Yeah, what's the artistic term for that?
1: Like, are you talking about the cream part?
0: No, like the the part behind... Like, yeah, Wolverine's in full color, full comic book mode. What do, you, what do you call them?
1: Well, the Hulk is monochromatic.
0: Oh, yeah, so monochromatic... Okay. So, yeah, you still have the monochromatic background. You have the Hulk, a nice Hulk smash, some jungle weeds, and then Shannon the She-Devil throwing a spear mostly chin and cleavage. And then you have Wolverine in full color. Very actually really cool drawing of Wolverine. I really like the way Cho draws Wolverine's claws. So overall the cover is pretty sweet. I actually like it quite a bit overall. I like the theme. that is like all The whole first five covers all kind of have like a unified thing they're doing where Wolverine is like in color and popping out of this kind of pulpy background. So I think that's really cool. Okay so remember we're in the Savage Land and nobody knows why. We have the Dark Walker who is uh, threatening to destroy the universe, he's been in prison, he's trying to get free. So he calls the Hulk, and the Hulk now is going to fight Wolverine. Er, he's like, you?! Like, of course you're here. Of course, remember, they have a nice, uh, quote-unquote, friendly uh, rivalry they've had ever since Wolverine's first appearance in The Incredible Hulk. I gotta say, you know, through this whole issue, Wolverine's been battered and his uniform is missing, but his cow is still present. I'm not sure about that uh, artistic choice by Cho. I kind of wish he was just, we could see Cho draw like his wild hair. I think I might prefer that a little bit to just having a cow and no shirt. Something about it reminds me of, like, you know what it does? It's, um, what was it called? Not megalo, not megalo, megalo. Um, okay, when I was a kid, there were superhero figures. And they were tall, kind of almost like, they were like the size of a Ken doll. And they had clothes, the costumes came on and off. So if you took off Batman's costume, like, he was naked with a pair of uh, peach-colored underwear. But his, his cowl on the rubber head, like, it never came off. So if you un. <laughs> And you were changing their clothes and putting on different uniforms and whatever, Batman always had the Batman cowl on his head. This is kind of what that reminds me of. I don't know why I, I thought of that, but I just remember my childhood because the uniforms were made out of cloth and they had these little snaps on the back. And they didn't last very long. So... I don't know, if you played with them regularly and vigorously like I did with my superhero stuff, inside of a couple of months, you had a bunch of naked superheroes. So my Batman was naked with a cow. So that's what this reminds me of, is uh, Naked Batman. I wish I could remember the name of those toys, but I can't off the top of my head. So if anybody remembers what they're called, uh, email it or hit me on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, and and remind me of of what those toys are called. I remember the wrists were super flexible, but they were Kindle doll doll superheroes. So if you
1: Google Naked Superheroes... (laughs) I
0: don't don't think you should Google that, unless you're into that thing, because I'm sure you'll get some interesting websites. There are, uh, there are uh, comic book themed pornos. Yeah. China is in them. You remember the wrestler in China? Yeah. Yeah. She's She Hulk. I heard it's pretty gross. I have not seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go back. To do what I'm doing. Yeah, you should. So, anyway, Hulk confronts Wolverine, and Amadeus Cho is, is trying to defuse the situation. His AI is telling him that the structural integrity has been compromised, and he recommends an exit strategy. So he appeals to Hulk as being a former friend of Hulk. And if you remember reading that from the World War Hulk series, he was one of the guys on Hulk's team. That's really the only other time I've read him besides this story arc. So anyway, he's telling Wolverine to put his claws away. And Hulk is like, is this a trick? And of course, Shanna is at the ready. He's like, no trick. And Hulk and Wolverine stare each other down. Amadeus Cho starts to sweat a little bit. And his AI, of course, only he can hear it. But his AI tells him, recommend pushing Wolverine into Hulk's path during a fast getaway. (laughs) That was pretty funny. And we get a close-up on Hulk's face, then Wolverine's claws, and then Wolverine's face, and then Wolverine lets his claws in. A giant gorilla comes up and bites Hulk on the shoulder. Everyone's like, what the hell? And so Hulk and the gorilla fight. It's a pretty good fight. Uh, Really almost two whole pages of of Hulk and the gorilla fighting. It's nice art. I like uh, Frank Cho's Hulk. It's nice and beefy. Anyway, so... Shawna jumps in and kicks the, uh, I guess it's Shanna. Jumps in and kicks the giant gorilla in the face. And Amadeus Cho is surprised at how strong he is. And he tells his IA says Calvin remind me never to piss her off and the uh Calvin's like a affirmative then we get our first snicked as the Wolverine decides if she's gonna take care of the gorilla he's gonna take care of the Hulk we're a really awesome page here of uh Wolverine jumping in the air with claws extended he's like time to take you down bub we get a close-up on his face and then a close-up on each hand And then a close-up on the Hulk's face. Then we get a nice page where he lands on the Wolverine with a giant chuck, and we have one claw going in the side of the Hulk's neck, and the other side goes through the top of his cranium. Some pretty sweet panel. Of course, we know this only knocks the Hulk out, but it does knock the Hulk out. And he falls down, and Wolverine jumps off. And now the temple is starting to fall apart, Indiana Jones style. So Shan- or, uh, Amadeus Cho uses Calvin to fly him and Shannon the She-Devil out as the place collapses. And Shannon's like, Wolverine! Wolverine kind of claws his way out of the rubble. He's like, thanks for the save, fella. And then the Dark Walker is set loose. The magic holding him or the machine holding him has been destroyed so everybody can leave the Savage Land. So he shoots off through the rubble. Kind of erupts like a volcano almost. Wolverine's like, "Ah, cripes. But he remembers he has the bomb. So he asks uh, Amadeus Cho if he can still fly. And Hulk's like, give me that. And he grabs the bomb, which looks like an iPod. Out of Wolverine's hand. And he's like, I'll be back for you, runt. I owe you a headache. And then he jumps off with a Super Hulk jump. He's like, Hulk smash! And he's going to shove the bomb down the Dark Walker's throat. (laughs) And then the Dark Walker just backhands him. in a nice full-page spread. The Hulk's like, ugh, and he falls away, and the bomb blows up in his hand. And we see a naked Hulk now falling through the sky. Apparently, his pants disintegrated in the explosion. And right before he lands, a giant, what looks like a blue whale, but it's green, jumps out of the water and, and catches Hulk in the air and swallows him and jumps back in the water. And Wolverine's like, damn. (laughs) And Shannon's like, wow. And then, kind of annoyingly, Amadeus Cho says, you have to admit, that was pretty awesome and funny. Which, it kind of was, but I don't know. I feel like that's Frank Cho's way of saying, hey, look, I'm awesome and funny. And he kind of just let us think that instead of having to have it spelled out. So the dark walker continues to shoot off into space. And Shannon's like, well, what do we do now? Wolverine well, says, go home. And I'll tell uh, Reed Richards about this. And we all need to pray it never comes back. Then it continues to shoot across space. And it comes to this what looks like a giant cocoon slash seed. And it goes inside to his master, Visher Rock, who's an ugly looking bug alien dude. And apparently he's in his hibernation chamber and he's about ready to wake up and eat a universe. And the guy, Alien dark walker, tells him, Well, I have just the universe for you. And then, the end. Okay. Art was fantastic. Frank Cho delivers again. Uh, just really good art. Uh, really good action. And there is lots of good action. As far as the story, um, it was okay, but it was kind of disappointing on a lot of levels. First of all, when you have the Hulk show up at the end of issue number four, you're expecting a classic Wolverine-Hulk throwdown. And you get a couple of good panels of that, but, I mean, it's only a couple of pages, and honestly, if you're an old-school Wolverine fan, you'd like to see a little more than that. Also, I kind of feel like the story is just kind of like, oh, um, right, issue number five is going to be the last part. Uh, let's wrap this up. We never really, f- I mean, we found out why people were coming to the Savage way because the Dark Walker was calling them. I don't know, the whole... Him just shooting off into space seemed I mean, very anti It was funny, his interaction with the Hulk. But again, kind of We pointed out, we were told that it was funny. And then we know that the next story has nothing to do with this guy. And plus, I mean, another universe eater? Don't we have enough of those in the Marvel Universe? And definitely a little bit above Wolverine's pay grade. I mean, that's more Fantastic Four kind of stuff. I know we have another super cosmic story coming up with Infinity. I'm assuming this guy's probably not part of that, but I guess he could be. Anyway, the story was fun, but not nearly as much fun as the first four. And kind of really, honestly, the art was really good, but the most exciting part of the issue was the uh, full-page ad for the next issue with features Wolverine and Spider-Man and, um, oh yeah, the return of Joe Mad, which I'm super excited about. One of my uh, favorite artists, so super stoked to see him get a turn on the book that kind of overshadowed the uh anticlimactic end of the story but it was fun enough i'm gonna give savage wolverine number five two out of three claws it's kind of a just middle of the road too it's interesting enough but kind of uh it seemed just I don't know. the ending seemed rushed but anyway savage wolverine number five two out of three claws all right let's move on Okay, so next up is our segment, and the X-Men. And who's this?
1: It's the invisible person.
0: The invisible person.
1: The invisible person. I'm technically (laughs) invisible to all those people out there.
0: Technically, yes, Yes. you
1: are. I'm just a a voice, hopefully a sexy voice, but I'm just a voice.
0: Any voice can be sexy.
1: Yeah, but I'm the token girl on here.
0: That's true. (laughs) <laughs> I think when there's two people, no one can be a token.
1: Well, no, there's three. <laughs> there's you and Cameron and me. Oh,
0: that's true. And soon to be Andrew.
1: Yes, yeah, so and I'm the didn't, token didn't girl. You did hear that from me. Oh, yes. did we just let out a spoiler?
0: Maybe. I don't know. Oops. Maybe a surprise. All right. Anyway, uh, Denise is joining me again. Thank you. I twisted her arm and got her to try out a new book. So she's going to try out Wolverine and the X-Men number 30 with me. That is the prologue to the Hellfire Saga, which I'm pretty stoked about. Kind of This story is going to kind of put a cap on a lot of the subplots that have been going on really almost all 30 issues so far. So it's, I'm looking forward to seeing how a lot of those uh, pan out.
1: I will say, for you listeners out there, so you, you gave me a little rundown of sort of what I needed to know.
0: I did my best, yeah.
1: Yeah. Had you not told me any of that, with the exception of a handful of things, I think I could have figured it out.
0: Okay, right. Well, that's good to know. That means Jason Aaron is doing a good job at making the books accessible. Okay, so this is the Hellfire Saga Prelude, written by Jason Aaron, art mostly by Pascal Ferry, with an assist by Pepe Larez, <laughs> i'm sorry he's a good artist and i don't mean to laugh but i just i didn't think of it when i read it when i just said it i thought of pepe Le Pew. um <laughs> and also salva espin the colors are by james campbell the letters are by vcs clayton coles or Cowles, maybe Cowles. okay and the cover is by nick bradshaw and laura martin and I really like this cover. Um, of course, I'm a Bradshaw fan, no secret. I don't know, we have Beast. I gotta say Bradshaw's version of the new Beast, and this isn't a knock, but it he's supposed to be kind of monkey-ish, so we have that kind of King Kong thing, but he also reminds me of Beast Man from He-Man. Yes! But in a good make way. Make him orange, Yeah. I mean, it's
1: totally Beast Man. Yeah.
0: So anyway, but it's a really cool pose, a nice action. I like the way he's jumping over Brew, And uh, Beast is jumping at some sort of creature with purple electricity.
1: I do have to laugh So he's
0: obviously a Sith Lord, right?
1: Sure. (laughs) I, I have to... I laughed because the little guy underneath Beast has clothes on, and yet in the comic he has no clothes on. Doesn't he have trunks? Okay, so he's got running shorts. Yes. But he didn't have a shirt on.
0: Okay, well this In is, fact, a, this I is think, an artistic depiction that represents the vibe of the comic it doesn't have to be panel for panel
1: well okay
0: and it's not even the same guy that drew the comic
1: well and I was going to ask you is the guy who drew the comic has he ever drawn for television like kids cartoons
0: no but part of this reminded me of that there was one scene yeah no that definitely had that vibe and he doesn't usually have that vibe I'm actually before we get too far into it I was pretty stoked to see pascal fairy's name on the cover um i've read him mostly before i know he's done some marvel stuff i think he's done thor and i actually think he's done a little bit of x-men from time to time when it runs here But well, what i remember him most from is his stuff at dc doing superman and i actually think his style fits superman really well And he's actually i know there's a long list of people. That, that people love to draw Superman, but I, I actually put Pascal Ferry pretty high on my list. Okay. As far as Superman artists go. Uh, we'll kind of talk more about how I felt about him in this issue. It was overall positive. Anyway, alright, so let's uh, get into it. Is Setting up the Hellfire Saga. So we get an opening full page spread with Wolverine and Rachel uh, cutting up some Hellfire Club goons. And I thought this was a really cool panel, a really cool page. Uh, it's nice action, thought the art was good. I like the color, the muted color, kind of.
1: See, yours is muted. Mine, not so much. But again, I'm on the iPad. Oh, yeah, you're He's on, the, on iPad. the comic. Yeah. So my I mean, colors is real not bright like, and vibrant.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's not, like, completely scaled down, but I feel like it's not. It's not nearly as bright as it is on you. Uh,
1: Mine glows in the dark.
0: I like the, the broken mask of the Hellfire Club guys. I just, I don't know. I thought this was a really, really cool panel. So a really great way to start the issue.
1: I do like how...
0: <laughs> Boring you already. I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> hey, I just ran she almost just, five miles.
0: Yeah. You did. Uh, That's why you smell so fresh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Shh. That's the beauty of a podcast. Uh, right. There's no smell of vision <laughs> Uh... I, I do like Wolverine's Arr. it It's big and red and bold and in your face.
0: And it jumps off the page. Because even on mine, it's a brighter red than the yes. other reds on the page. Yes. So while it's probably not as bright as yours, it's definitely brighter. Yeah. Or another, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yours is like on fire. <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, I really, I enjoy from this page, Pascal Ferry's Wolverine and his Rachel Gray Summers. Yeah, I really like the page. Uh, so then we see uh, Rachel is mad at Logan. Uh, kind of basically says that they're wasting their time going to the official headquarters of the Hellfire Club in New York. And she says, I have mind swept this place a bajillion times. Nobody's here. Wolverine well, he basically says, I know. But he barges way in the door. And he says, they're not dumb enough to be here, but they're smart enough to keep an eye on it. He basically kind of calls them out. He's like, congratulations Hellfire Club, you shot one of my kids in the face, lured two others away from my school, you finally did it, you officially got my undivided attention. So now it doesn't matter how far you run, how deep a hole you try to swither into, I'm going to find you, every last damn one of you, and when I do, (laughs) we turn the page I love this because now the point of view switches to, like, a security camera. Yes, it's awesome. And Wolverine goes, snicked. <laughs> and then they make fun of it. Well, they do, but it's great because it shows kind of both sides. But he's basically giving them the finger with his claw.
1: Well, I was going to say, he should have given them the middle finger
0: claw <laughs> I, I can't wait till I get to that in the, one of the flashback episodes when he eventually does that so I can show it to you.
1: Oh my gosh, that's going to be my favorite. <laughs>
0: but anyway, but I think it's a really cool panel. He basically like knows the camera's watching him. And he's like, and when I get a hold of you, snicked. And then the Hellfire Club kids do make fun of it. But really, that's kind of enough said. I mean, if you knew Wolverine and he was like, all right. be I mean, like If you were Wolverine's son. And but- he was like... You're, like, drawing on the walls. And he's like, Junior, quit drawing on the walls. Or, snicked, you, you pissed on your diaper. <laughs> <laughs> and you quit drawing on the walls.
1: I did find it a little odd. Now, granted, the only other Wolverine comic that I've read is that other one.
0: Right. The summer so, of the series.
1: So, Wolverine in this panel seemed a little wordy. He was monologuing.
0: Well, Jason Aaron gives him a little more personality so far than Cornell does.
1: Oh, okay. Because this just no. seemed out of his personality that he was monologuing so
0: much? I think they're both both fair assessments. Kind of the evolution of the character that Jason Aaron and some of the other guys have done in the team aspect is put him more in a leadership role. I mean, obviously, he's he's been kind of forced to lead the school. And he's kind of grown out of some of his lonerism with that. okay. And so... I mean, different people write him in different ways, for sure. And Cornell makes him a little bit less wordy and more, I'm going to get done what has to get done. But but remember, or you may not remember, have you listened to the flashback episodes any? Yes. Because remember when he first came on the scene, he was pretty chatty. Like, he was very sarcastic, almost like just a mean, violent Spider-Man. And so, I mean, over the years, he's been different. There's been some issues in some periods of time where he doesn't say a word. Like, there'll be a whole issue where he isn't taught. Nice. And then, but then when he first started off, he was really chatty and he's been kind of everywhere in between. So he
1: goes through bouts of depression. <laughs> yeah,
0: something like that.
1: <laughs> but, but back to the comic. Back so to the comic. The, the so kids do make fun of him, but.
0: I know it's funny, the girls are like, snicked, that's it, Oh, come on.
1: Well, that made me laugh, and the other kid says, "I say we could nuke New York City. I could launch a dozen missiles with one button from my phone." And the other kid goes, "Now slow down! I own half that city." <laughs> right.
0: So you get the, it's just kind of giving you insight that these are like the brattiest, spoiled, evil kids. Uh, I do like how the the leader, who's Kate Kilgore, he's the guy in the vest on the bottom. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He goes, "Let the poor fools slash away at some." Thugs and snick for the camera to his hairy little heart's content.
1: He is kind of <laughs> hairy. really funny.
0: And then we get a, a picture of the Hellfire Academy yeah. logo. Right. Yeah,
1: what is that supposed to be a picture of? Like I know it's an H for Hellfire, but what's the little doodad I up really above?
0: Know. It's just part of their design. I think it.
1: They need to hire a graphic designer.
0: They do. So it looks to me, and I not to offend you because I know you kind of just That's ra- ragged on it a little bit. So you're probably not going to like this comment. But it looks to me kind of like a teenage novel. Co- like, it covers like a cross between like Harry Potter, Hunger Games, and Twilight. Like all rolled into one.
1: Are you smoking crack?
0: No, I'm not. It looks very teenage to me. So I think I think that's kind of cool and appropriate.
1: You're smoking something.
0: Because they're all kids. So they would have like a teenage type logo.
1: I won't tell you what it looks like to me.
0: Well, it's either phallic or vaginal, if you're making that face.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a little bit of both.
0: (laughs) Okay. Either way, so we see the little logo on the flag hanging outside their school. And then we switch over to uh, the peak headquarters of S.W.O.R.D., which, of course, is basically S.H.I.E.L.D. in space.
1: Okay, that was one thing that confused me.
0: So then uh, we have Abigail and Beast jawjacking at each other.
1: Beast is wearing my running shorts. I think yes, I want them is. back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he barely fits in them, too. I know. <laughs> well, um, anyway, he's basically, he's brought Brew to the station to meet Dr. Was it Blood Claw? Blood. Star Blood. Star Blood. Uh, and basically, this is the guy who is, like they say, an uh Extreme zoologist, best-selling author, murderer of multiple species. Basically, he goes around and kills things across the universe to dissect them and study them.
1: So he's like the Leonardo da Vinci of the I don't the future. remember
0: Leonardo da Vinci killing things and dissecting them all no, over the universe. He, but
1: Leonardo da Vinci used to dig up corpses so he could dissect oh, them.
0: Oh, I did not know that. So, kind of. If Leonardo da Vinci killed people instead of digging up people that are already dead, yes.
1: Okay, so, if memory serves me correct, some bodies were donated and some he found. Okay. But, yes, um, what is it, the the man, the um, Manchurian man, you know, the guy with his arms out and the legs out. Yeah, that was actually a corpse cadaver yeah that he um dissected and studied and whatnot cool so leonardo da vinci was technically an artist and a scientist but he did dissect things to see how they worked
0: well that makes sense anyway when this guy doesn't wait until they're dead to see how they work oh uh, okay so so he uh basically as much of a uh psychopath Super violent murderer that he is, he's also very brilliant. And so Beast has come to him here in containment to appeal to his intellect to help him try to figure out what's wrong with Brew
1: which is the the student who got shot.
0: The student who got shot by the Hellfire Club and has since um, almost been lobotomized back to an animal state, which is why that keep him on a leash. <laughs> But, and he um, has no pants. Yeah. But so, basically, they, they meet. And I think uh, Pascal Ferry's Dr. Starwood looks uh, pretty menacing.
1: Except why does he glow?
0: I don't know. that He was introduced right after the last Tron movie came out. And I think his design owes a little bit to Tron. Oh. <laughs> so he actually
1: just, reminds me of a cross between if Tron and Hellboy had a baby.
0: I can see that, yeah. Anyway, and we see... Uh, the sword guys in their uniforms are guarding Dr. Starblood, and him and Beast kind of jaw jack at each other and kind of try to get under each other's skin a little bit. There's some pretty good humor, I thought. Some sarcasm in those I, lines.
1: I did laugh. At, it's a page back where he makes fun of the chicken green who would wear a tight green suit Oh, where Beast with does, yeah. Hair. He goes,
0: wearing green jumpsuits when you have green hair. That's a bad idea, Abigail. This... This is an act of utter desperation. But basically he's bas- the doctor Starboard is basically like, Oh, someone shot this poor brew and turned him back into a brood. How sad. And he has no sympathy for the situation at all from a biological standpoint. But he kinda makes fun of what Beast did. He basically says there was a brain damage, you fixed it inexplicably well, I'm sure, you know. Right. And so but he basically comes to the conclusion that there's nothing wrong, that this brew before was an aberration, and now he's acting just like a brood. So he's basically been reset to his n- true nature.
1: And so he really doesn't give a rat's patootie.
0: No, he doesn't. In fact, he appreciates him as the violent creature that he is.
1: Now, what I find interesting is this little brew, you know, that he's on a leash, and he makes little noises, and it looks like he screams and yells and spits. and Yeah. But then at the end, when he says, there's nothing here to be fixed, and the little character kind of growls, it's almost like the character himself cannot talk.
0: But he can still understand in here. Yes. I think that's kind of what we're supposed to infer, that there's still some reason in him. Yeah. Like kind of the ghost of the brew that we came to know and love through this series.
1: It's like he's trapped in his head, but he can't get out.
0: Right. Right. And you can obviously understand some because got, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But, um, all right, so we switch back to the school, and uh, Iceman, Storm, and Kenny Pride are trying to figure out why I.D. left, which was the end of last issue, to um, join the Hellfire Club. And they figure out, <laughs> I think it's funny that they know because Glob Herman, one of the other students that left, uh-huh. uh, tweeted about it. Anyway, Storm uh, will miss that they're the worst X-Men professors ever. And um, basically they find out that someone was sending emails from inside the network. So there was either a student or teacher that was emailing the other students from the inside. So a traitor in the midst.
1: I do like uh, Storm's mohawk, by the way. Side yes, note.
0: that's a new, uh, a new old uh, thing. She had it back in the 80s and she returned to it after she divorced the Black Panther. And to get in touch with her wild side again.
1: Gotcha. All
0: right, so they determine that there's a traitor. Wait a second. Why is...
1: I'm wondering if you're about to say...
0: Okay, so in this middle panel, it looks like Kitty is sitting in some weird, super ergonomic desk chair.
1: No, she's floating.
0: And here? What's behind her?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: It It looks like a chair, right? Yeah. Then in the bottom panel... She's, she's sitting crossed out floating. Actually, it doesn't, it looks like she's sitting in a chair and the chair's invisible.
1: That that's
0: That's weird. I wonder if the chair got left out or what. But I don't think Kitty can float. I'm not aware of that power set.
1: <laughs> what is her power?
0: Uh her power is to turn intangible. She can it's called phasing. So she can phase through things. You remember in the in the third movie the oh, yeah, the who girl. Do the know? Yes, Ellen Page. Yes. All right, that, that's Kitty Pride.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think uh, somebody goofed.
0: I think someone meant to draw a chair and forgot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think they were like, hey, she's floating.
0: Right. So we have Quentin Choir, one of my favorite of the students. It's like his snarky, sarcastic attitude. But anyway, apparently he's mentally eavesdropping, which he has the power to do that. I like his I was right shirt because he's been wearing a Cyclops was right shirt. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of just a different take on it. So I think it's pretty funny.
1: When does he wear the I was wrong shirt?
0: Oh, never. He's never wrong.
1: Oh. <laughs> so he's his, one of those kids. Not in his kids. mind.
0: Yeah. So um, basically, like, he runs through kind of the different possibilities. He's like, I bet his war burn. He never trusted her. No one knows what Dupe is doing. Dupe's a little swiber guy, later that doesn't he speaks in an alien language. Gotcha. He goes out to the statue where uh, Ida left Brood tied up, and he says that the security footage shows her whispering something, and he wishes he knew what it was. And then he sees a Bamp, which are been running around the campus, causing mischief.
1: What are those?
0: Uh, they're from the.
1: Because it reminded me of the...
0: Azazel's dimension. They all look like Nightcrawler. Yeah. Okay. And their BAMF is the sound Nightcrawler makes. I really dislike that part of Nightcrawler's retcon origin, but the BAMFs are kind of cool just because they're like little gremlins. Gotcha. I don't really like where they come from, though. I tolerate them because they're fun in the story, but...
1: (laughs) So Nightcrawler is one of these guys? in a Jordan. in
0: a way in a form he wasn't originally but they, when they retold his origin that's kind of how it became this red guy is his dad which I don't like at all
1: yeah it was weird to me
0: because to me like part of the I, and I've said this before on the podcast but I'll just say it again very briefly part of the cool thing about Nightcrawler was that he was this guy he was very spiritual and religious and had like he the heart a of priest, an angel right? yeah yeah, he the heart of an angel when he looked like a demon. Right. And to me, if he randomly looks like that, that's more compelling of a story. If you give him a dad that looks like a demon or that is a demon, to me, that robs some of the richness of his background. I mean, it's too, yeah. it's too obvious and too on the nose. I just I don't like it. It has been ignored for a long time, but I guess Jason Aaron... Who who I love as a writer. He's one of my favorite writers, but I'm not real sure why he feels the need to reintroduce that.
1: So who's the dude in white huddled in the corner? I don't know. Oh, okay. That's
0: slightly intriguing. Apparently he's asking for help. I'm pretty sure that's... Because this guy's going to be coming back later, I think, so I'm pretty sure this is like a a mystery of, hey, what's your appetite to see who this is? So anyway, I love the way Quentin Quire makes uh, psychic guns. And he's shooting at the bamp, He's BAMFing all around the hallway. I really like this scene. The perspective on his legs is kind of weird on that page, but it's kind of cartoony, which I'm guessing this is one of the panels that yeah. he asked if he'd worked on cartoons before. But the BAMF bouncing around in his acrobatics I thought looked really cool. It you know does look you, cool. Then you know when he gets shot through the chest psychically,
1: Okay, so I was confused. The little blue guns threw me. All
0: right, so Quentin Quire is what you call an Omega-level telepath.
1: Okay, so who's the
0: Alpha? Well, no, actually, the X-Men Omega is the biggest. Oh, okay. And that's the biggest power. Well, maybe Alpha's bigger. I don't know. But the Omega's kind of like the end-all power. So if someone's an Omega-level threat or has an Omega-level power, I mean, they're virtually... If they fully developed, their power, they're kind of unstoppable. I mean, they can only stop themselves in a way. So or in another theory, this omega kid
1: can be a threat.
0: They set this kid up to be a super big threat if he were to ever like lose control or go rogue or whatever. Gotcha. Interesting since he's had time periods where he's been bad, a bad guy. He kind of is like a mutant punk rocker. Like he wants to cause trouble. The mohawk trouble. gave it yeah, away. Right, right. And the pink hair, right. So, basically, one of the ways he can use his powers, he can read minds like he did earlier in the issue. Right. Um, He can even control people. There was a little mini series where he tried to control Wolverine. Um,
1: How'd that work out for him?
0: Not too great. (laughs) I didn't think so. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But he can also uh, make telepathic, I guess, items. And so, this is not the first time he's done this. He likes to make... uh, telepathic guns where he shoots psychic bullets
1: gotcha All
0: Right, but well, this panel where the BAMF gets shot I thought it looked really cool so I really dug the art especially on this page so then the other BAMFs gather around to see what's going on and he grabs it to read his mind and that's where he sees Azazel or Azazel or whatever his name is and his dimension and he's sweating his wrist for some reason so they can drink the blood oh and be free right and he wants him to go out and kill. And then we see this sh- figure in the white cloak asking for help. And Quentin Quirin is like, what the hell was that? <laughs> 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 I think he was a little freaked out. Anyway, that's not what I want to see. And so he asks, he, he makes the Bamp see his memory of when Idy tied brew. And I think it's funny. He's like, no, Brew, stay. Right? Everyone treats Brew like a dog. I think it's funny.
1: <laughs> well, a dog in a tuxedo.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, this is right after the student end of the world dance. Oh. Yeah. Which only the X-Men would have a dance about the end of the world. Anyway, of course. Yeah. But that was during the Avengers versus X-Men where they thought Cyclops and the Phoenix Force were going to destroy the world. So, so it really like a, was the yeah, end of the world. Like yeah. last dance dance.
1: <laughs> I you bet know. there were a lot of people getting it on.
0: They're teenagers. We can't say that.
1: Oh. No, they weren't getting it on. No,
0: teenagers don't do that.
1: There was personal bubble space between every single one.
0: Leave room for the Holy Spirit when you dance.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: So basically, Idy in her schoolgirl uniform says that she's going to leave him there, and that she knows the Hellfire Club is manipulating all these things, trying to get to her. Uh, There was a robot priest that they tried to use to get to her because she's religious, so they tried to get her to say that Basically, she wasn't good enough and she was going to be damned.
1: So, <laughs> I laugh because when I looked at this panel, she reminds me of Foxy Brown.
0: Okay. <laughs> I don't remember what Foxy Brown was like. So
1: big boobs. Oh, okay. yeah. Big hair. Big, big earrings.
0: Hair. All right. schoolgirl uniform. uniform.
1: Eh, maybe <laughs> not the schoolgirl part, but yeah. I just got this whole Foxy Brown thing. Okay.
0: Anyway, she determines that it's the Hellfire Club that's been trying to get screw with her and that they're also the ones that shot Brew because he was shot in the same church where the robot priest was.
1: Gotcha. Because he
0: had gone to try to find her and that's why he got shot. Oh,
1: uh, um, she's got guilt.
0: Yeah, she, oh, she has major guilt issues. And that came out kind of sudden, but I talked about that when it happens. I won't retread that. But basically, she decides she's going to infiltrate the Hellfire Club.
1: Dun dun dun.
0: Double agent. And so she leaves Brew there, but she kinda of leaves the impression that it's a one way mission. Almost like a suicide mission. Yeah, I that got that feeling like, she was coming back. Right. And then so Quentin inquires who is I right, so I I don't know, I forgot to tell you. There's kind of an interesting love triangle between these three. So Brew, when he was had nice and had a personality. Right. Him and Quentin Quire both like Idy. And Idy kind of toyed with both of them, but kind of like she's She was keeping her
1: option open. Yeah,
0: but then kind of like Brew, and then especially once she felt responsible for his injury, that I think, you know, sometimes you transfer that situation into feeling like you owe them and love them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's kind of that thing going on. And then Quentin Choir feels jilted because she picked Brew over him. but he still has legitimate feelings for her so he wants to help her
1: he's hoping if he sticks around long enough she'll fall in love with him yeah
0: or maybe if he goes and rescues her that would be a good way to to win her heart
1: Florence Nightingale Syndrome
0: Uh, sure but while he's thinking that he's going to go to the Hellfire Club without he doesn't think I'm going to go there and help Idy he just thinks Hellfire Club here I come well looks like the staff are spying on everybody telepathically they hear him say that with their localized thought amplifier.
1: It's a Britney Spears microphone.
0: <laughs> it does kind of look like that. But anyway, so the Kitty Pride and Lockheed and Storm and Iceman and Warbird and Dupe all come up on Quentin Choir and they decide he's the traitor.
1: I, I had to laugh at this panel just because of the way Iceman, Storm, and the other Chickadee.
0: They're all striking a super pose. They
1: are. <laughs> <laughs> it's Especially like,
0: Iceman. Iceman's like, like if his arms are out, he'd be Leo uh, DiCaprio in a Titanic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm king of the world. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but he's very much like his he's bowed out and his chest is puffed out so but they decide he uh quentin quire kind of tentatively makes his case without making a very good case he's like i need in trouble and uh, i need help her." but then he just runs off uh-huh. <laughs> so basically uh we go back to the space station and Starblood talks to the Brew in the brood language and uh, I guess says the secret words or basically tells him to attack. Like, sick him! <laughs> or whatever. And so Brew starts to attack Beast and Beast uh, is like No! Stop it! Down, boy! <laughs> so more uh, dog stuff. And the sword lady says we can't let him run loose. And Beast is like I got it! I'll take care of it! Just keep your eye on Starblood. Then we get a nice giant Explosion, And f- I f-
1: felt sorry. I thought the little puppy...
0: Oh, you thought he blew up?
1: I thought he blew up.
0: Okay. Well, it turns out it's just the Philistine. Or it's philistine. the floating
1: skull with wings.
0: I think he looks really cool. I'm not super crazy about his name. I'm trying to remember if this is a new character or not. Um, We saw him in this a few issues ago. And I want to think that he's been an uncanny x-men before but i'm tra- having trouble remember
1: so who's the x-man uh, and, and i'm granted okay so my memories go back to movies not comics right. and one of the x-men towards the beginning in fact i want to say it was the opener of the movie the when they're injecting people with the you know mutant fixer serum okay
0: and the third one
1: okay and the guy says, you know, obviously it's his son. And he says, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. And, Angel. And he escapes and he flies out the window. Yeah,
0: Angel. Any relation? I That's what I'm trying to remember. I don't think so. Okay. But I could be wrong. I see. I can't remember. This guy looks kind of like the version, or not the version of Angel. One of the bad guys is in Age of Apocalypse, but it's not exactly. So I... I I just I need to go back and read that, and I haven't yet, and I can't remember if I've seen this guy before or not.
1: So if anybody out there actually knows yes, the so answer... if you remember,
0: is this guy a new... I mean, he's been in this book before. He was in the page when we, we met all the new staff at the new Hellfire Club. Like, he was standing with all the bad guys there. So he's been in this comic before, but I don't remember if he's a new character or if he's an old returning character so if anybody knows please um twitter facebook or email uh respond let me know who the philistine is either way i think he looks really cool
1: he does kind of look cool
0: so basically he's teleported in and we're going to behold his fury we don't know what his plan is yet but fury will be beheld Alright, so we see, uh, we actually see Quentin Quire's escape. And that, alright, so we'll come back to this at the end, but he says to someone in the shadows in the forest, they're on to us. And the guy's like, well, we better move quickly, come on.
1: Yeah, I was a little, con- I, I was following everything and figuring everything out up to this point.
0: Okay, and we'll talk about that at the end, kind of our theories on that. Okay. Okay, so then we go back to the space station and the Philistine, the Philistine, whatever, is wrecking havoc on the base, and he has come to recruit Dr. Starblood to teach at the Hellfire Club. At, or teach.
1: <laughs> right. But he apparently had his resume out because he accepted.
0: Yes. So, but he decides he's going to call Brew to come with him. And so, and Beast is like, no, don't listen to him. Oops. And he says, come with me, Brew. Come be what you've always meant to be. Alright, so we switch back, and we have Quentin Claire running after the shadow figure, and it's the Toad.
1: So is this kid, is he supposed to be a kid? or is No, he he's not
0: a kid. He's hes one of the original X-Men villains.
1: Okay, because in this... And he had
0: turned over a new leaf and was working at the school, and then they made him a janitor, which he did not like.
1: Well, I wouldn't like it either. But
0: basically right. so kind of felt like, well, yeah, you say you're giving me a second chance, because, uh, uh, all right, so what happened is, <laughs> short version, think think short. All right, so there was House of M, which is where uh, the Scarlet Witch recreated or bent reality so that her fa- family got what they wanted. So basically Magneto ruled the world. And guys okay. were the majority, and they kind of ran the planet some of the people started getting their real memories back and so they fought back and at the end of it Scarlet realized she was wrong she, she cast a spell and said no more mutants basically so wiped out all the mutants except for a f- some that were like in this protective bubble that one of the mutants threw up real fast Okay. Right. so there were about 200 mutants left Kay. and all marble so in response to this after some other stories, they basically ended up on an island outside San Francisco called Utopia. And Cyclops basically said, "Good, bad—you you, ha- you can't like actively commit crimes anymore, but everyone gets a new chance. There's so okay. few mutants. we open this up as asylum for mutants. Come here. You play by the rules. You can stay. No questions asked." Okay. Okay. So, Toad is one of those mutants that went there to seek asylum and seek protection. And it's kind of been playing the role of the quote-unquote good guy since then.
1: Okay.
0: Not really a hero. He's basically just kind of been around.
1: Okay.
0: So anyway, so Quentin Choir says, is it really that bad? Are you really feeling that degraded that you're going to join the Hellfire Club over being a janitor?
1: (laughs) Well, I I had issues with this panel. Because when Toad... This looks
0: very cartoon to me.
1: It, it does, that second to last panel. Yeah, it, the very,
0: like the yellow, like action y background yes. with no detail.
1: But so my issue is actually with the way Toad is drawn. Okay. So in the first panel that you see Toad, he looks like he could be a teenager. He looks like, you know, he's the same age as the kid running up to him. But then in the panel underneath that, he looks a little older. And then in the panel at the very bottom, he looks twice the age of the kid and, and maybe it's the way he's drawn but and the weird angles it, it threw me i thought i know that toad is an old mutant and so i was a little the whole janitor thing confused me just a hair so i i wasn't exactly sure how old this person was supposed to be
0: okay oh yeah but he's he's full-on adult so he's not a, not a teenager But basically, he laments that he's the ugly toadling. And the Quentin choir is too good-looking and too young to understand his heartache. Okay, so then we get another explosion of teleporting. And we have the Philistine and Paige Guthrie, or husk.
1: Or, uh, need some cover girl.
0: (laughs) I actually really like the way Pascal Frey draws her, uh... She really looks unhinged, and she looks, like, just psycho. Like, she's more and more, my sweetie food. She's got this giant smile on her face. Kind of reminds me of uh, Harley Quinn. Yes. Like, I hear that voice from the TV show.
1: Well, and he really did do a good job of making her appear psychotic.
0: Yeah, she just looks nuts. Yeah. And that reflects that her external instability has led to an internal instability. And so.
1: She's just that time of the month every day.
0: <laughs> every day, all day. So basically, uh, Toad and Husk reunite. They can now be together forever. And then she goes, then she just flips out. She goes from super manic to super bitchy. <laughs> it's like, not like this damn place. Burn in hell, Gene Gray School! Burn in hell forever, X Men! She had a little Carrie moment. Yeah. Yeah, so she just went completely nuts. And then Quentin Clarence is like, wait a second. And he sees Brew and Dr. Starblood. And he's like, oh, is it too late to change my mind? But then they all teleport away.
1: So there's there's an error.
0: An error. Yeah,
1: there's a mistake in the comic. What's that? So if you look at the last panel where the kid's saying, is it too late to change my mind? Toad has on purple wristbands. Now okay. look at the panel before. He's wearing purple, purple latex gloves. gloves.
0: And the panel before that, neither. Yes. <laughs> uh oh. Oopsies. All right. So Marvel has a thing called the no prize.
1: The no prize. No
0: prize. The no prize is what you get, or used to get. I think they still do them. I don't. No, they never actually give them. But because um, it's a no prize. It's a no prize. But basically what you would do to, to try to get a no prize back in the old days, you would write in a letter. And if you saw a mistake, you would write in and explain how it's not really a mistake. You come up with some cockamamie explanation for how it actually works. That makes sense.
1: Like his latex gloves.
0: So I'm going to give you an opportunity to see if you can uh, come up with a no prize scenario for the toad's hands in this situation.
1: Oh, I already got it. Okay, what do you got? Okay.
0: Lay it on me.
1: So Toad has no... My
0: listeners, this is potential no prize. So if she doesn't send this in, you listen and, and write it down. You can send it in and try to win a no prize.
1: And remember, I get paid to make stuff up. So <laughs> I'm in right. advertising.
0: That's right. So <laughs> you're paid to lie. What do you got?
1: All right. So Toad has no gloves on, no wristband, no nothing when he yes. sees the kid. Okay. Yeah. But he touches his hand. Yes. And he realizes, holy schmacks, what if this kid's got like, you know, some sort of disease. He's been traveling (laughs) around with this Banff. So he throws on a pair of latex gloves, but then he realized then, you know, the heat from all the materialization. The
0: husk is on fire, of her.
1: Yes. Well so
0: she burns away the gloves. She burns away the, the gloves
1: except for the <laughs> wristband.
0: <laughs> Alright. I like it. Good. You if I was giving out no prizes, I would give you one. Awesome. I like how Millistai is just hanging out in the background, both his swords out. Like I am Millistai. So anyway, before we get to our thoughts on the art and andor writing, I gotta ask you a question. I wanna know your your opinion, your theory. Okay. Quentin Choir.
1: Okay. Is
0: he a double agent here or a triple agent? Okay. So I feel like at first... Right, so the basic premise is that he's a rebellious punk. So there would be a certain amount of the Hellfire Club that would appeal to him anyway. Right. Okay. But kind of the, tri- the arc of his character... Yes. ...has been that he's uh, a sarcastic brat and he wants to rebel against everything... But secretly, he's enjoyed finding a place, like, for the first time, like, where he belongs. So he kind of has, like, this punky exterior, but internally, he's kind of grown to almost be one of the leaders among the students. Reluctantly, yes, but it's kind of happened a little bit. All right, so that's his overall kind of story right. arc, Okay. Now, in this story, when he first talks about when he gets busted for thinking about running off to the Hellfire Club, I have the impression that he's only going to rescue Idy. So I... that he's going to kind of do the same thing she's doing, like right, to infiltrate it, okay? And at the end, he's like, oh, wait, I like, bit off more than I can chew, kind of also indicates that maybe he intended to go with not evil purposes.
1: I, I would agree to that one. Okay.
0: The only part I'm curious about, the part I said we come back to, is when he runs off into the woods, he vocalizes two-toed in the shadows. They're on to us. Right. As if, like, okay, they they know I'm coming to the Hellfire Club and we need to skedaddle. Which leads me to the, believe, then that Toad already had some kind of indication that Quentin Choir was going to come with him.
1: Okay, so not reading the issues beforehand, I think, and knowing the little love triangle that you informed us of, yeah. I, w- the opinion that I'm coming to is that the girlfriend he's lusting after, or the girl he's lusting after, yeah. he knew she went to Hellfire, so it's one of those... If I'm at Hellfire, I have a better chance of right. being with her. So he right. probably set it up that he's going. But now he kind of wants to know that why. No just bang,
0: bang, bang. If he always doing it for Idy. Like, he just found out about that when he read the BAMF's mind.
1: Well, no, 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 no. He found out why. He already knew she went to Hellfire. He wanted to know why she went to Hellfire. Well,
0: but didn't he? I don't think the staff is really, like, announcing that these students are leaving. Yeah, yeah but he reads mine. Well, he does, yes. But Toad can't. I, I don't... I, Toad no. knows what's going on because I feel like... My theory is that he's the one that was sending the emails to the students. That Toad was using oh, the staff email.
1: Oh, good call.
0: That he was the mole. Okay? It could... I could be wrong. It could be Quentin Quire. That he could have been the mole all along. See, that's why I guess or I'm kind of confused. Or like, he's I don't,
1: telling Toad who to send the emails to. Because he can read minds so he can tell them, hey, she's this, he's that. This is how you get under their skin. Right.
0: But then that makes his motive to get I.D. a little bit less sincere. Or
1: maybe that's his plan, is to get her over to Hellfire so that it's just him and her.
0: That's a possibility. All right, so there's lots of possibilities. The other thing I maybe thought of is that he ran out and knew Toad was there. And since he can read minds. So he knew Toad was about to go to the Hellfire Club. So he said they're on to us to cover his tracks. Like, I'm coming to join you, but we got to go. Right. So anyway, lots of good possibilities. I think I would be kind of be okay with any of them. But I would like to hear uh, what other people think. Uh, you've heard me and Denise toss out a couple of ideas. Uh, do you agree with one of the ones we've said, or maybe you have something completely different that we haven't thought of? I would love to hear it because I'm definitely super interested in where this story goes, and would like to know. It. I'd like to get a discussion going, so see if we can get a discussion going on whether you think Quentin Quire is a double agent to the Hellfire Club, or whether he was going there all along and he's just pretending to be a double. So he's a triple agent per se. Or whether you think one of the other things that we talked about. So uh, feel free to hit that on Facebook or Twitter or send it an email. I can read it on the show. But yeah, give me some ideas. Uh, same or different than what's been talked about. I want to hear it. So, um, alright. So that said, let's kind of get ready, to, uh, get ready to grade the book. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a Pascal Ferry fan. I thought. And, of course, we had these other two people do the last little bit, and I don't know exactly what page they started on. I will say... Um,
1: the drawing is different It is pages. different, but
0: they were definitely trying... Either they found someone that intentionally was in the same style, or these guys were trying to draw like fairy to make it more cohesive. So it's not like a super break. Um, I feel like by at least the page... Or Choir leaves that that's new art. I think that this is still fairy, don't you think? The page with the phil- the Philistine showing up.
1: Yes. Um. The page is where I think it changes. Actually, I I have a different view. Um, I think it's. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get to it. Uh, this page right here.
0: See, I think these are still fairy, but I feel like this. is
1: I I don't feel like that's. The page where he's sort of being interrogated. And the reason why I say that is the way his ear is drawn, and then also the panel where he's um, out front of the statue, Um, it's more sketch like and not. See, I think that
0: is. I think you just got. I think the reason they had to guest artist do the last little bit is because they ran out of time for the issue. And so I think maybe some of the panels are a little more hurried. I think that actually looks like his art to me, just knowing the artist.
1: Even with, like, the the scrolls and the ears and...
0: Yeah, it just doesn't look as clean as the previous pages. Well, anyway, overall, I like his art a lot. Uh, depending on what he did or didn't do, some of the art is definitely stronger than the rest of it. Yes. So, I'm going to assume that the strongest parts are fairy, <laughs> just because I know he's a good artist. As far as the story, I thought it was a great setup for what's to come, with still kind of using some of the subplots from the past. So, um, what do you think? What are what are your thoughts on it?
1: So, so I there's one sort of underlining theme to the way the art is drawn, okay. Um, which I noticed as I kind of flip through is um, this artist loves to overlap panels. Okay. Um, great example of that is the panel where the kids are sitting in the room and the girl who's sitting on the chair it's the top of her head yeah he breaks it yeah he breaks breaks it he breaks it there but then in the very next page beast's foot breaks over like he's literally gripping yeah the next panel underneath uh it's just little things like that yeah I i like that you know the the
0: and we have the star hair, yes, or not hair, his tentacles or whatever.
1: His horns, whatever yeah. those are, and you know the next and page then storm, storm. Yeah. So I, I've But it's not every
0: panel, so it's not overdone too much.
1: No, in fact, in some of them where it is, sometimes it's minute, like it's the tip of a gun going over. Right. And but what I like about it is it does sort of bring all the panels together and it creates motion.
0: Yes, I agree. No, I think he's a very talented artist. That's why I'm assuming that the panels that aren't as good, weren't you? <laughs> not that they were bad. I'm not trying to disparage the guest artists, and I'm sure Pascal Ferri was very grateful for the assist to meet the deadline. But um, you can just you can definitely tell there's some panels that aren't quite as awesome as the others. I guess I would say it that way.
1: I Toad is one of those. I... I I did not like the way Toad was drawn. I feel like in every panel, I'm seeing a completely different person.
0: I see that a little bit. I guess I just attributed that to facial expressions, but he definitely looks thinner in this bottom panel where he's grabbing Quentin.
1: And then he kind of looks like he's got a slight little, you know, beer roll at the bottom of the panel.
0: Yes, well, he should. He was thicker in this panel, too. Uh Uh-huh. I don't think his build changes that much. He does look more buff in the bottom panel, too. You know, you don't see his actual belly. It looks like it would be flat based on his chest Mm -hmm. and shoulders. So, anyway. All right, so what else?
1: Overall, I really like this.
0: Yeah, I know it's a really good story. I'm going to give Wolverine and the X-Men number 33 out of three claws. I know it was a really strong... Uh, kind of segue issue is a really great prologue. I'm really looking forward to the Hellfire Saga and this just whet my appetite. So what do you think?
1: Are you, are you sitting down?
0: Uh, yes. I'm going
1: to give it three claws.
0: Whoa! Janice's first three claws. My first three All right.
1: claws.
0: Yeah. So I that's well, good. I like um, yeah. kudos to Jason Aaron and Pascal Ferry for uh, winning Denise over and we gotta say I this Wolverine and the X-Men is one of the most consistently strong comics that I read so I always enjoy reading it and covering it on the podcast alright we're going a little long so we're going to cut that but to summarize Denise and Jason that's me both give Wolverine and the X-Men number 30 three out of three claws I think it's fair to say we're both looking forward to the next one. I agree. All right. Well, cool. Moving on. Okay. So last up this month, we have Where's Logan? And this time he is in Scarlet Spider, number 17. Written by Chris Yost. Pencils by Carlo Barbary. Inks by Walden Wong. Colors by Rex Locus, I think. Or Loxus. The K and the X in this font look the same. So I think it's Rex Locus. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And the cover is by Ryan Stegman and Delgado. Which this cover is pretty sweet. I really like Stegman's Wolverine. In fact, if you're not following him on Twitter, you should be. Uh, He was at, I think it was the Phoenix Comic Con was the big one last weekend. And he uh, picked, tweeted, whatever, several sketches that he did of Wolverine. And they were all really sweet. So I'm really enjoying his work on Superior Spider-Man. And I think I even tweeted this. So I'm in no hurry for him to leave that book. But if he ever wants to do a Wolverine book, that would be A-OK with me. Because this Wolverine is really cool. Anyway, on the cover, we have Wolverine slashing at the Scarlet Spider in the uh, Spider Stealth Suit. You know, the one that kind of looks like it's from the Neutron movie? Yeah. But anyway, it's a really, really cool cover. I like it quite a bit. So... But you know, you know. At first, I was kind of disappointed when I saw this Deadman cover and didn't see his name in the uh, the interiors. But we're treating to Carlo Barbary instead, and I really like his cover, uh, his ink. crap, his pencils. Uh, I'm most familiar with his work from uh, Deadpool. He had a couple of really strong runs on that book, and I think he did a couple X Men issues as well. But anyway, I really uh, enjoy his art, so it was a nice treat. I think he's going to be doing this whole arc. I think Wolverine is going to be in a few issues here. we little team up with the Scarlet Spider. So uh, I don't really even read this book. I, and the, apparently the Assassin's Guild came to Houston where the Scarlet Spider's been uh, making his home. And they agreed to, they were messing with Scarlet Spider, I guess for their own purposes, and they agreed to leave him alone and let him off, whatever they were messing with him for, if he agreed to do one assassination for them. And so he agreed, and they said, okay, we'll get back to you later. And so they arranged to meet at a restaurant. Is Brennan's a real restaurant in Houston? Yeah. Okay. So they're Brennan's, which is a real restaurant in Houston. That's where my brother went for his high school graduation. Oh, that's where my brother-in-law went for his high school graduation. I'm assuming when he was there, there was not a camouflaged Spider-Man that stabbed a guy in the hand. No, no. Okay. Well, this time at Brennan's, that's what you get. Because these two guys from the Assassin's Guild, I'm assuming this is Belladonna, which of course we all remember from Gambit storylines. Anyway, this guy's talking about how he wants to get back at the Scarlet Spider. So the Scarlet Spider knocks him out <laughs> at the table. And everybody starts to flee. And uh, he stabs him with his tent um, sticker. His <laughs> stinger, I guess. Uh, he has the stinger from his wrist that Spider Man got in the other storyline. Uh, Kane has that. Not exactly sure why, but he does. And I like it, so it's okay. But he stings the guy through the hand, and Belladonna tells the other guy to leave. And so, um, he sits down to meet with Belladonna and find out what his last job is gonna be, which that's, that's what re- this reminds me of is, you know, the tons of movies where the guy wants to change his life, but he has one last thing he has to do before he can. Turn over a new leaf. So I feel like this is what uh, Scarlet Spider is doing. He's going to do this one thing, which you know is not going to be one thing. But she slides over a vanilla envelope and she says, The Assassin's Guild are just facilitators, Kane. You know this. It's not personal, with one or two exceptions. And so Kane opens the folder and is a photograph of none other than Logan, aka Wolverine. She says, basically, we're going to destroy you and your family and friends and let you kill Wolverine for us. And he kind of, we get the nice uh, dot, 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 which kind of in comic text means that he's holding, like, sighing or holding his breast. And he's like... Holding his breast? Not holding his breast. Holding his breath. And so he looks at the picture and he pauses and he's like, sure. And in, in his little internal dialogue we have... My name is Kane, and this, this should be interesting. <laughs> so apparently, Kane has picked up a uh, female sidekick, slash, whatever. Her name's Araceli, I think is how you would say that. And she's like, You can't leave me here by myself. I'm really irresponsible, except in whatever way I can help you. <laughs> and she begs and begs and begs. And he's like, All right, be quiet. And he pulls out a, a fake passport and says, You're coming. And they're going back to New York, which, of course, remember, Kane left to go to Houston to get away from New York on the pretense that he would probably never really go back. But here he is. And he's in the limo driving through New York. And Araceli's like, Look, this is so New York. As she sees the real Spider-Man flying by. Or not flying, swinging by. So then we switch to the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. And uh, King kind of gives his spiel that he's a clone of Spider-Man. He can stick to wall, shoot webs, and talk to spiders. So he has some different powers than Spider-Man, but he's still Peter Parker's clone. And he talks about how all the crazy stuff he's done in this book so far, that this school of mutants is the craziest. And then he sees uh, Wolverine. So apparently he's spying on the school through the spiders that are already in the school. And we see a spider crawling around on Wolverine's bookshelf, watching Wolverine drinking a pint of beer in his office. And so Araceli is dressed up in a crazy costume that looks kind of like uh, the girl from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Thanos' daughter. I'm, her name is escaping me right this second, but looks oddly like her. <laughs> and Kane's like, why are you doing this to me? And she's like, what? And he says, the costume. And she goes, it's great, right? What are the spiders telling you now? Do you name them? Are they your pets? I get the feeling this girl is written to be very annoying. <laughs> He's like, what? No, I don't really talk to spiders. I just, I can sense what they sense. And he, she asks, what are they sensing now? And Kane says, um, they're sensing we better make quick work of this or the X-Men are going to kick our butts. (laughs) Kind of he needs to get in and kill Wolverine and get out because he doesn't want to take on the whole school. And so she says, she declares her co-name is Hummingbird. And he's like, whatever, you know the plan, right? And she kind of pauses and says, uh, I forgot the plan. He goes, just knock on the door. And he goes, stealth mode, invisible. So she rings the bell, and apparently she's some sort of telepath. So Toad answers the door. I really like Barbary's Toad. It looks pretty cool. And she goes, I'm a scary mutant. And he runs off screaming. (laughs) And so she walks in, and he comes in behind her. So now we see a target sight, and one of the Assassin's Guild members has them in a rifle sight. And he reports back to his base the girl is in. But he can't confirm if Kate is in there because he can't penetrate the cloaking tech. And we find out that a double cross is coming. Because basically he knows that Wolverine and Scarlet Spider are going to fight. One of them is going to kill the other one. I guess he'll clean up the mess and kill whoever's left. I guess is the plan. Probably not knowing that he's incapable of killing either of them. But, you know, whatever. he wants to have a bad plan, he can have a bad plan. So then we see uh, Rachel Gray intercepts Hummingbird, and she lashes out telepathically. And we see all the telepaths in the school kind of get like a sudden migraine. So Quentin Quire and Jim Gray are like, "Ah, yeah," ah, and uh, Blindfold is like, "No." Wolverine, I guess, hears it. He's like, flame in hell. And we get a really cool panel of the students running around through the school. Kind of, we see through Scarlet Spider, like through his cloaking. It's a really cool, really nice panel. The coloring is really cool on it. And Hummingbird starts apologizing. She's like, I didn't mean to hurt you. And then Beast uh, says, the classic flaw in cloaking technology, perspiration. So I guess he smelled the Scarlet Spider sweating, so he tackles the Invisible out of the air. He goes, now despite smelling like Spider-Man and looking like Spider-Man, I should hazard to guess you are not Spider-Man. And Scarlet Spider's like, good guess, and he kicks him in the jaw. And then Iceman shows up, and they uh, they decide, uh, he tells Beast, what do you say, Hank? Original X-Men versus Fake Spider-Man beatdown? And Beast is like, quite. So they fight a little bit. Uh, Scarlet Spider is super agile. He shoots webbing and Beast and Iceman's face after a brief skirmish. And then Kitty Pryde phases her fingers in the Scarlet Spider's head. And so she has um, the Scarlet Spider dead to rights. But then the hummingbird attacks her telepathically and surprises her. So she lets go of Scarlet Spider and goes back tangible. And so Scarlet Spider kicks her off of him. And then Beast goes in to some clobbering, but he gets kicked off. And then um, he goes, any more ice men for me to break? Then we get a double snicked with both claws. And Wolverine says, nope, just me. That's a pretty awesome panel. I like that Barbary's Wolverine. And King goes, Wolverine, I'm going to have to kill you now. And uh, Wolverine charges in. We get a really nice panel of them jumping at each other. He goes, based on the file I read, I'm stronger than him and faster, more powerful in every way. But he almost disembowels me in the first second of the fight. And then he punches Wolverine and says, I almost break my hand in the second. You know, as he punches his adamantium jaw. He goes, I drone on and on about being a monster, but this guy, he's an animal. It's like fighting the wolves again, only slightly less hairy. (laughs) So Ken has a Spider-Man sense of humor. And Wolverine and him kind of go tit for tat. They're fighting each other, punching each other into the walls, breaking stuff, breaking each other. Wolverine gets a nice slash on his mask, and that kind of sends Scarlet Spider into Predator mode, and he pulls out his spike from his wrist and stabs Wolverine in the heart with a nice shunk. He goes, when my mind clears, I feel the stinger in his heart swim right between the ribs. I feel it piercing the muscle, still beating. And without thinking, I pull, rending his heart in two. So he pulls out Wolverine's bleeding all over the place, and of course he assumes Wolverine is dead. I don't know if he knows about the healing factor or not, but he's like, "All right, who's next?" With Wolverine's blood dripping off of his spike, his stinger, and to be continued. Okay, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, like I said, I don't really I haven't really been reading Scarlet Spider, but I do like Christopher Yost, or I guess he's going by Chris Yost now. Thought the dialogue was pretty good. There's some nice humor. Thought the story was pretty quick-paced, lots of action, lots of banter, thought the art was great. I don't believe for a second that Wolverine's dead, but um, I don't think I'm supposed to, <laughs> so it's okay. I'm assuming that once the Assassin's Guild, they're probably going to. Maybe they don't know. I mean, they do, though, right? They've invo- they fought the X-Men before. They have to know Wolverine has a healing factor, right? I'm assuming this guy, the outside guy, is going to assume he's dead and move in to kill the Scarlet Spider. Wolverine's going to heal, come back, and him and Scarlet Spider will team up and go fight the Assassin's Guild. Right? I mean, that's what's going to happen, right? I feel like it's pretty predictable, but I feel like Chris Yost has the ability to still make that story fun and interesting. So, predictability's not always a bad thing in comics. I mean, I've been reading comics forever, so... To me, it's not, the surprise is not always in the plot, but in how it's delivered. So I'm looking forward to see if Yost can surprise me in how he delivers this story. But I thought it was really good. It was a great first chapter and a crossover, a really good guest appearance by Wolverine. There's a good two or three whole pages of him fighting the Scarlet Spider. And before that, we get lots of pages of the Scarlet Spider fighting other X-Men. So I thought it was really good. So I'm going to give Scarlet Spider number 17 three out of three claws. I want to read the next one. So uh, we'll see where it goes. All right. Like I said, Scarlet Spider 17, three out of three claws. Okay, let's wrap up. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks again to Denise for uh, jumping in on this special segment. I appreciate it. And uh, I want to give a shout-out to uh, two new Facebook likes that I appreciate. So let's keep that growing. Uh, Let me open up my phone here. They are David Hooray and John Wilson. I read Hooray like it sounds. I hope that's right. So um, anyway... Thank you, guys, David and John, both of you, for liking the uh, Facebook page. I really appreciate it. Hope you're enjoying the episodes. Yeah, so if you want to like the Facebook page, you should. Um, It's at facebook.com slash Page. You can follow me on Twitter, at snickcast. Email is snickcast at yahoo.com. Leave an iTunes review. The webpage, if you want to get show notes and stuff, is... uh, snickcast.podbean.com and I guess that's gonna do it so until next episode hugs and snicks bye